how do you decide uh, the big decisions in life? How do you make big decisions in your life? How do you decide what school to attend? Some of you are going to a new school this year. You decided to go to a new school. Some of you have a new job. How do you know what job to take? How do you know what stocks to invest in, what companies to invest in? How do you know where to live? How do you know what person you should go out with or date or marry? How do you decide? How do you decide? Do you do it with your gut? Do you do it with your logic? Do you make the old pros and cons list? How do you do that? Well, if you're a Christian and you're making a decision, a big decision, a little decision, you don't decide. God's deciding for you. And I know many Christians always struggle with that. Like, how does that, how do you do that? How does God decide? Like, I'm the one who makes the decision. And what do you mean, God decides? It's kind of like going this back to the to, the finan- to your own finances. You're like, no, I made this paycheck. Really? You mean God didn't give you the ability to, to earn that money? It's, it's a how we perceive things. So how do we decide? How does God decide? What, is, what does God want me to do? Is the question that we should be asking as Christians. What does, where does God want me to live? Who does God want me to go out with? What job does God want me to have? I was 25 years old, brand new Christian, and I had already been in two different careers. I had been an engineer, that's my bachelor's degree. I had been in sales because apparently I didn't make enough money in engineering and I wanted to make a lot more money, so I got into sales. And um, those didn't fit. And then I became a Christian and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I want to do something that that will bless uh, others and honor God. I wanted a career that would uh, be glorifying to God. So I had the right intentions and I was asking God, what do you want me to do? And I I know what I was thinking. I was thinking youth ministry full-time. So I wanted to be in full-time youth ministry 25 years ago. I wanted to do that. That That's the career I wanted to have. I was ready to go and I just needed a church to hire me with a full-time salary. I don't know about you, but there are not too many churches out there that have full-time salaries for youth pastors, for youth ministers. So it didn't happen right away. The church we were in was a newer church, and, and I was waiting somewhat impatiently, praying for God to make this happen. I was actually trying to impose my will onto God's will. And then I read Psalm 46.10, which I have for you. You can look at this psalm. Be still and know that I'm God. And that's the first part of the psalm, of that verse. There's a little more to it. But that verse, be still and know that I'm God, became a verse that I meditated on for a long time. Be still and know that I'm God. In fact, I actually have it on the front of my license plate. Uh, If you see my car and you see a be still and know that I'm God, that's Pastor Matt's car. Don't hit it. Okay, it's parked in the street over there. But for six months, I was still. And what's interesting about the word is, I looked it up, it's a Hebrew word that actually is probably better translated, relax. God was saying to me, relax, Matt. 
I know what I have for you. Be still. Don't you love it when you're all fired up and someone tells you, relax. Take a chill pill. God's saying, relax, man. I know what's best for you. I want you to use some time to figure this out. And when the time is right, I will let you know what job I have planned for you. So for six months, I soaked up God's word like a sponge. I dove into God's word. I kept seeking. I wanted to know God, and I grew in my faith tremendously. And I kept praying. I kept praying. I kept saying, you know, God, um, I know I can be a great youth pastor. I know I can. And I was even helping God out. I was like preparing, you know, I was, I was listening to great youth pastors and their strategies of how to lead the youth ministry. And I was listening to this one particular youth pastor about um, his talk and he said something and, and it just like hit me upside the head like my mom used to when I talked back to her. He said the greatest mission field in North America is in the public schools. And I was already coaching in the public schools, and I knew this to be true. I, don't, I still think it's true today. The greatest mission field in North America are the public schools. I was already coaching in the public schools. I didn't really want to go back to school and get a teaching certificate and pay for more college classes, but I knew that God wanted me to be a teacher. And so I prayed to confirm that this is what God wanted. I continued in his word, and he gave me a piece about it. So I obeyed God. I went back to school for a year. I got my teaching certificate, and he blessed me with 16 years of teaching in the public high school. I was able to minister to many students, some of which I've been able to officiate their weddings. I've baptized them. I've ministered to teachers. I still minister to teachers. I can't imagine what my life would have been like for 16 years if I didn't follow God's will. If I just did what I wanted to do instead. I can't even imagine the disappointments or the struggles. And friends, I want to tell you that this morning. There's a great danger when you do what you want to do and you don't do what God wants you to do. When you don't discern God's will. And look at what I told you, my story. How did I discern God's will? I did it with God's word. I immersed myself in his word to know him. How do you know God's will for your life? You discern God's will with God's word. And I'll say that a lot today so you hear it again and again. You discern God's will with God's word. And I love that some of you are writing that down in the notes that we have for you in that program. But you discern God's will with God's word. As a Christian, you have to have discernment. You must be able to distinguish truth from error, judge right from wrong, detect real news from fake news. When you have discernment, you have wisdom. Those words are synonymous in the Bible. Discernment is wisdom. And who couldn't use a little wisdom these days? Who isn't quite sure what news is true out there? What people are trustworthy? And so the title is, Who Needs 
wisdom. If you do, just show me you're alive by raising your hand. You're awake. And the good news is you can have it today because it's in God's Word and it's a good thing you came to Life of Purpose Church because my specialty is teaching God's Word. I love that. I got to teach math for 16 years, but I love teaching God's Word. Love it. It's my favorite thing to teach. Will you pray with me? Lord, please open our eyes and ears to see and hear the truth today. May your word come forth as gold. May we take a moment to block out all the things that are going on in our lives, the distractions, and may we just truly hear. Hear truth. Help me be a great teacher, not because I... I'm smart, but because I have your wisdom from your Holy Spirit, and I reveal your Son, Jesus, for he is the way, the truth, and the life. And I pray in his name, and everyone says together, amen. amen. I must give you a fair warning before I dive in here to God's word. If you're going to discern God's will using God's word, you must know something about God's word. It will discern your heart at the same time. I point you to Hebrews 4.12. In Hebrews 4.12, in this particular verse, it says that the Word of God is living and active. The Word of God is not a history book like all other history books. The Word of God is God speaking today. I always uh, kind of make the comment that everything God wants you to hear, he's already said, it's in his word, you just have to go listen. So the word of God is living and active, and this is what it does. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And this is the part that you got to be careful about, and I'm warning you, it discerns the thoughts and intentions of your heart. Folks, it gets in your britches. It's going to make you squirm. Bring skeletons out of your closet. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, I don't know, you know, but you know. It bears all. That's what the Word of God does. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. You can't hide anything from God. And when you open up his word, he is going to look and show you the truth about yourself. And it may not be something that you like, and it may be something that you're uncomfortable dealing with, but that's what it does. God's word will discern your heart. It's just a fair warning. I want you to know that, and I know many of you already know that. That when you open up his word and he reveals things to you, it makes you uncomfortable and you might be quick to close the book. (laughs) But don't. Keep it open. Keep discerning God's will with God's word. God's word has a power like nothing else in this world. God's word doesn't make logical sense why it's so powerful, but it is. I mean, it makes intelligent people look foolish. God's word baffles the smartest people in the world. This is what the Apostle Paul explains to us in 1 Corinthians. He wrote this letter to the church in Corinth where there were really smart people there 
In the first two chapters, I won't read all of the two chapters to you, but I will point out some of the verses that, that basically Paul is saying that God's word is so powerful and it's so wise that it makes really smart people look stupid. This is what he says in verse 20 of chapter 1. If you want to take a moment, I'm, I'm going to go through um, several verses here in chapters 1 and 2. So in 1 Corinthians, and uh, if, I, I love what Kent did last week. Uh, we had a guest speaker last week talking about um, marriages and, and relationships. And he pointed out the page number in our great big blue Bible, he called it. And uh, most of us have a blue, one of those free blue Bibles that you can take home if you'd like. Um, but if you open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, it might be on page... Nobody's there? 11? 1188, thank you. Page 1188. So in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 20, there is one... Where is the one who is wise, he says? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Drop down to verse 22. For Jewish people demand signs. Greek people seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. That's a stumbling block to Jews, a folly, foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, that's us, both Jews and Greeks, it doesn't matter, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ. The word reveals Christ. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I just love that, if you really think about that. The foolishness of God. Now, some of you might think to yourself, like, well, wait a minute, God's not foolish? If that's not what it means. The foolishness of God is God speaks through us as we share the gospel. So when you share the good news with someone, when you tell someone about Jesus, you, you do your best. And I've heard this excuse by many people, uh, I'm very nervous, I don't, I, don't, I don't know, I think I'll mess it up. If I try to tell someone about Jesus, I'm going to mess it up. Like they're going to challenge me and I'm not going to know the answer. They're going to ask me a question and I won't know the answer. And many of you have thought that. But listen, even when you think you're foolish, it's, it's smarter than the smartest person. Because it's God's word. You're sharing God's word. The foolishness of God is smarter, wiser than men. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. In verse 30, Because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. Now why does God's word shame the wise? What is it about God's word that shames the wise? God's word explains the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there's no logic that defeats the case for Christ. Lee Strobel wrote that book, The Case for Christ. The logic is, like the, like the, the smart people in the world will tell you, Jesus didn't come back from the dead. He's just a good person that lived a long time ago, if they even acknowledge the fact that he lived. But they won't, they won't accept the fact that Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead. But that is why it makes you wise. 
If you believe that, if you truly believe that Christ rose from the dead, that's not normal in a good way. <laughs> you can't believe that without the Holy Spirit, which is, brings me on to the next chapter that Paul explains why Christians like you and me are so spiritually wise. What makes us wise? Verse 10 of chapter 2. These things God has revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. That makes sense. Why does that make sense? Paul says, because who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit in that person. You know your, the Spirit in you knows your own thoughts. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Holy Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned, judged. Verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. So the reason that God's word is so powerful has nothing to do with logic. It has everything to do with the Holy Spirit in you revealing Jesus Christ. When you have the Spirit in you. I don't know about you, but when I read 1 Corinthians 2, a great comfort overwhelms me. A great peace comes into my life because I am reminded once again that I have this great advantage. I am not this natural person that will not accept the things of God. I am a Christian filled, dwelled, the Holy Spirit dwelling in me, giving me the wisdom to understand the things of God, to truly believe the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what you have. Do you get that same feeling when you read 1 Corinthians 2? You're comforted by the fact that you have the Holy Spirit in you. You're a genuine Christian and you understand and you don't believe the foolishness of the wisdom of the world. That's great comfort you should have in 1 Corinthians 2 as a Christian. But the challenge now, even though you have the Holy Spirit in you so that you can be wise, it doesn't mean you always will be wise. You need two things. You need two things. If you want discernment, to be spiritually wise, you need two things. Yes, my friends, this preacher is telling you you only need two things. Most preachers are like, three things. We have three things for you. Three-point sermons. No, today it's two. It's better. Who, uh, who can... Uh, Tell me that they uh, love to pray. Who loves to pray? You like to pray? 
Well, one of the things that you can pray for, we often go to prayer and our first prayer is for someone else. And that's okay. You can do that. You can certainly pray for other people. But how about if you pray to God and ask him for spiritual discernment? Let that be something you pray for regularly. Pray for spiritual discernment, which is wisdom. James tells you to do it. James 1.5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. God gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. This is a, a prayer that you can pray, and God promises to give it to you. Pray for wisdom. Pray for spiritual discernment, and God will give it to you. Paul writes to the church in, in Philippi and to the church in Colossae, both in Philippians and Colossians, actually the same exact verses, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. I'll read to you the Philippians one. But what is prayers, uh, Paul's prayer for this church? He says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more, and this love, that it would, it would grow with love, with knowledge, and all discernment. That's Paul's prayer, that you would have discernment. So, why do you need discernment? So you can approve or discern, it's really the same word, what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. You need to discern. My favorite verse, Romans 12.2, tells you that you must transform your mind by the renewing of your mind so that you can know God's will and approve, discern His will, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's what it means, to discern. One of my favorite prayers in the Bible is from Solomon. How many of you like Solomon before he went crazy with all the idols? <laughs> yeah, uh, Solomon, I mean, you, you, I mean, think about who Solomon was. When you, when you look into 1 Kings, when you read the Old Testament, and you see the life of Solomon. Solomon was the son of David. Solomon was this young man called to be king, and he didn't really know how to be a king. He was a really young guy. He, he, he probably just wanted to play video games all day. I mean, you know, not that I'm picking on young boys, but I am. So his dad was a great king, had big shoes to fill. I mean, what do they say about David? He's a man after God's own heart. And, and he was a great king, and he, he established this wonderful kingdom. And now Solomon's in charge. And, and God asks Solomon, what do you desire more than anything? What do you want? You're a new king. What do you want? Well, what does every young boy and young man want these days? Come on, be honest. What do they want? They want the money. They want the power. They want the fame. That's what they want. So you would expect Solomon to pray for this. To say, God, I, I just, you know, give me some money. Show me the money. Verse 9. This is Solomon's prayer. This is why I love it. He says, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your great people? Whoa, I didn't expect that, did you? 
He wanted the ability to discern so that he could lead all of these people. If only we had government leaders like Solomon. Wouldn't that be nice? Who pray for godly wisdom to lead. I will never use the pulpit, as they say, to tell you who to vote for. Besides, it's not even legal. I will not do that. I will not tell you who to vote for, but I will tell you who I vote for. I vote for people who pray like Solomon. That they want God's word in their life so they can discern God's will so they can lead God's people. This country was established on that concept. That people in government would follow God's word so they could discern God's will. Verse 10. It pleased the Lord that Solomon asked this. So God said to Solomon, because you've asked this, and you didn't ask for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but you've asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind. Praise God. So that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. That's why we say that Solomon is the wisest person that ever lived. Because God gave him wisdom and said, No one will be, no, you're like nobody else, Solomon. I give you also what you have not even asked riches and honor. No other king will compare with you all your days. If you walk in my ways, keep my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, I will lengthen your days. You will live a long and prosperous life. What a promise from God for Solomon. And he did follow through. He, he blessed Solomon with riches and wisdom. In fact, Solomon is, is um, rep um, it's recorded that he wrote over a thousand proverbs. A thousand wise sayings. In fact, one of my favorites is Proverbs 3. Uh, there's lots of wisdom in Proverbs 3, but in verses 21, 22, and 23, and 24, the first uh, several Proverbs, Solomon is writing with his son in mind. So dads, listen up. As you think about your sons, parents, listen up. My son, do not lo lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. In other words, listen to these parables or these Proverbs that I'm writing down. These are important. Because they will be life for your soul. They will be an adornment for your neck. It'll be the best necklace you ever wore. They, they will ask, then you will walk on your way securely. Your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. And when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. So parents, do you hear that? Dads, do you hear that? Wisdom will keep your kids safe and rested. It will give your kids what you really actually want them to have. If I could share one of my biggest heartbreaks. It's, it's bigger, I can't say it's a pet peeve. It's bigger than a pet peeve. It's when I hear parents say to their kids, do whatever makes you happy. I just want you to be happy. And let me tell you, I hear that a lot. I hear that all the time. 
And let me point out this truth. Material things will make you happy. Alcohol and drugs will make you happy. Sex will make you happy. Happiness is temporary. Sin has its kicks, but it has its kickbacks too. It's temporary. It's much better to say to your kids, do what God, or do what makes God happy. Don't do what makes you happy. Do what makes God happy. And what, does make, what, what, what makes God happy? Knowing him. Knowing his word. Doing his will. That's what makes God happy. When you discern his will with his word. That's truly what makes God happy. So pray for spiritual discernment. God says, I'll give it to you. He gave it to Solomon. He'll give it to you. Pray for it. And parents, you can pray for your kids to have it too. You know, think of Job, all the things he did for his children. I mean, he went to the Lord and and, and offered sacrifices for his kids in case they sinned. I mean, he was a great parent. Secondly, practice discerning the truth. Take it to Hebrews 5. In Hebrews 5, verse 13 and 14. Practice discerning the truth. You have to practice. It says in verse 13, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. Babies live on milk. But then those babies grow up and they eat real food. I know this because I'm on Facebook and I see parents do it all the time. Oh look, they ate carrots. Yay! Sweet potatoes. Paul is saying stop being a baby Christian and grow up. Verse 14, solid foods are for mature Christians. Those, I love this part, who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish the good from the evil. So we see here that discernment will take practice. It takes time to develop it. Which is why you need a very good Bible study. If you belong to a good Bible study, you will practice discernment. Because you will be learning God's word and knowing God's word. And you will be taking the verses in context. In context. You won't be plucking out verses and making them fit what your plan is. You'll be taking them in context and trusting the whole word of God. So belong to a good Bible study. Don't belong to one that, that, that just talks about life. Or, or spends time debating or arguing about issues or telling stories. That's not a Bible study, folks. You want to be in a Bible study. Five minutes of God's Word and 85 minutes of, of other stuff is not practice. I mean, that's like me as a basketball coach, and, and I gather the team together, and we got 90 minutes for practice. In 85 minutes, I talk to them about basketball or other things, and I tell them stories. And then I'm like, okay, guys, we got five minutes left. Let's go out here. Let's do this drill. We'll do some layups. Five minutes. Okay, it's over. All right, all right. See you guys tomorrow. They didn't get any better. That's not practice. No. Practice. Practice. Studying the Bible. 
Get in there. Listen to God. Study His Word. And when you know the Bible really well, you'll know when someone is misusing it. You know the story I've told many times before. I can't say a thousand. I've told it many times before. But a counterfeit, a counterfeit specialist studies the, the, the real thing, the authentic bill, studies it, studies it, studies it, studies it, studies it, studies it. And after they know it perfectly, then they're given fakes. And when they see the fake, they're, oh yeah, right there, doesn't look like this, doesn't look like the real thing, doesn't look like the real thing. But they have to study the real thing until they know it really, really well. And that's what we do as Christians to discern. That's how we practice. We study God's Word. Solomon had an opportunity to practice. It's recorded in 1 Kings 3. God's Word uh, tells us that he had to make a big decision. And this is how the people knew that Solomon had wisdom. Like he had discernment. Two women each had a baby. And as they were nursing their babies, they lived apparently under the same roof. And one of the babies died. And in the middle of the night, the mother of the baby who died took that dead baby and switched it with the other mother while she was sleeping. And when the other mother woke up, she realized, this isn't my baby. This, this, this baby is isn't even my baby. And, and, and so there was an argument and they were, they were arguing back and forth and the only way they could resolve it was to go to Solomon. Solomon would, would be the one who would decide what to do. And, and so I'm sure Solomon had this great dilemma. I mean, imagine him in his, in his place and he's, he's deciding, like, how do, how do I decide? He's a young man. He's like, I mean, I have no idea. His baby, you know, they both look the same, you know, I don't know, you know, and how do I decide? And he probably, like, you know, he probably prayed, I'm sure he prayed, Lord, I don't know what to do here, what do I do? Everybody do this, and, and let out a big, hmm, give me your best thinking face. Hmm. There you go, all right, that's Solomon right there, you just look like Solomon for a minute. What do I do? Well, when he prayed, God revealed a solution. Divide the baby in half. Give half the baby to this mom and half the baby to that mom. Now you might think, oh my gosh, that's disgusting. What's wrong with you, Solomon? Well, it was a wise decision because the true mother said, no, don't do that. Give the baby to the other woman. She did everything she could to preserve the life of her child. The mother who wasn't the real mother, the fake one. She said, yeah, that's a great decision. Kill that baby, because mine died, and I'm bitter. Well, when Solomon heard the response, he said, okay, I get it. Take the baby, give it to the real mother. And she went away happy. And it says in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 28, all Israel heard of the judgment, that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Discernment takes practice. Sometimes you're going to make the wrong decision. Sometimes you're going to be impatient and move ahead of God. Don't dwell on that. God is in the forgiveness business. 
Confess your sins. He's faithful and just. He will forgive you as many times as needed. But keep studying God's word. Keep coming to life of purpose. We teach God's word. We don't tell you what you want to hear to make you feel good about yourself. We don't preach false ideologies. We don't follow the majority who follows the wisdom of the world. In fact, Colossians 2.8 sums it up very well for us. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. We teach the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We teach the truth. And what happens when you know the truth, church? It sets you free. That's right. It helps you discern God's will for your life. It gives you wisdom. Who needs wisdom? Who needs to discern God's will with God's word. Do you have a big decision to make? You got a little decision to make? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Starts with prayer. Pray for spiritual discernment. And then get in the word and practice. It's actually quite exciting when you have a big decision. I know there's the anxiousness of it all, but think of it like a big game. If you're a sports person, you know what I'm talking about. It's a big game. There's always anxiousness But a game is a test, a test of your ability. Any endeavor is. And I love it because when you have that test that lies ahead of you, you're uncertain, you're nervous, you're anxious. But when you trust God, when you take it to Him in prayer, when you you want Him to lead you, it's always, a good, it's always a good result. It's always a good end. Because He carries you through. Doesn't He? He carries you through. He always carries you through. So we need to take it to the Lord in prayer. Let me pray and we'll sing our final song. And I want to encourage you to seek the Lord in prayer and all you do. Let's pray. Father, Your Word truly is powerful. As we see today, it, it gives a wisdom that's wiser than the wisdom of this world. It's more powerful. It it dumbfounds smart people. God, we're thankful for your word. And sometimes we're nervous because we know it will discern our own hearts and we have to look honestly at our own lives and be truthful with ourselves. But God, today as we think about that, I pray for those that maybe there's something in their closet that they've been hiding. Maybe there's something in their life that they've not really wanted to deal with. I pray, Father, today they would bring it to you. Because when we bring it to you, we know that it's not too hard for you. Nothing's too difficult for you. And you will walk alongside of us and you will help us. I pray, Father, for the decisions we have to make in the future. The big ones and the little ones that we would pray for discernment, pray for wisdom, and that we would trust you, be patient as you lead us. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.